technology like this must be somehow accessible and in order for people to really trust it, we felt it's beneficial if it's simply transparent. People know how it works. People know what happens. We want it to be open and yeah, really establish it as something that everyone trusts and everyone wants and can use. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. Well, we're excited to have Milos from Haystack on the show with us today. Milos, thanks for coming. Thanks, Eric. So Haystack is an interesting project. We talked a little bit about it, and I'm curious, Milos, how you would describe it to people. So when you think about all of these new capabilities uh, that are actually quite hyped right now, everything we can see around, for example, ChatGPT, natural language processing, then we always talk about models as one essential component, of course, to these powerful natural language processing capabilities. But usually what you require to really have a full application that supports this NLP functionality, what you need is uh, many more components, probably more models, you will need more functionalities, you will need a separate way to store your data for this NLP functionality. And all of these components, this is part of Haystack, and with Haystack, you cannot only access the components, you can also combine them into, let's say, an application or a service, or as we call it in the Haystack world, a pipeline. Got it. So Haystack is a, an aggregation of a, of a half dozen kind of components or, or maybe more that you can mix and match to create a pipeline or application. Yeah. And, and generally, these, these are um, all requisites in order to produce a a natural language aware application. Exactly, exactly. That's what it is. Uh, and it's not just half a dozen, actually. It's, uh, I actually don't okay. even know right now how many there are, but Haystack as a standard, so to say, also allows developers, in case there's something that needs to be a bit more custom, to also develop custom functions that are then part of their applications. They can be then reused and they usually fit into this, let's say, pipeline logic. So in the way you glue together these different components. And, and maybe just to ground this kind of abstract idea in a, in a couple examples, if I wanted to build an application that could search documents using AI, I need a document store to put my documents I want searched in. Exactly. Haystack can help me with that, or at least give me the primitives to mm. turn a common store like Elasticsearch into a, a proper document store for these purposes. Yeah, so think about it this way. When you want to add, let's say, question-based search, right? You want really that people can search on your website the way they're searching on Google. They ask a question, for example, I don't know, in which stage does uh, the scale actually invest uh, or in which, yeah. in which areas? And then you want the answer is highlighted on your web page. Well, the thing is that the one solution is, of course, the so-called question-answering model you would need. But the question answering model itself is probably not enough because you will need to feed it with your data, right? Because this model hasn't been trained on your data. It probably needs to still find the right curated information in your data. And this is then when you can, for example, pick something like Elasticsearch as a document store. Now, the problem is that the way your website is designed and the way you write it in Elasticsearch, this, you know, this has to be also, let's say, a bit special because NLP models mm -hmm. have certain requirements how they deal with text data. This means we need a way from your website to actually Elasticsearch uh, where the original text data is converted, it's 
pre-processed, prepared for an NLP model. And then comes the next thing, which is probably a website consists of quite a bit of text. It might make sense to not just have one question answering model on top of all the data, because that would probably be a bit too slow. You want maybe to add some kind of a filter. This means you don't want that this question answering model is fed with all your website information, because if people you know, are asking about the investment stages, then probably it's not relevant that the model is searching through, let's say, the team page. Yeah? And mm -hmm. at that moment, we can add another machine learning model, for example, a so-called retriever model that is then chained, so to say, in between the document store and this question answering model. And now you see from my long explanation how many steps it takes yeah, until we can we can present the answer to this question to um, to someone on your website. Now, all of okay. these components, this is something you have in Haystack, you put them together in Haystack, and you can choose whatever you want to use in this component, which other technology. We were talking about Elasticsearch as the document store. If you feel like for your use case, it might make sense to use something like Milvis, then you can also simply switch to Milvis. Same lasts for models. If you are using, let's say, a model from the Hugging Face Model Hub, you can pull it in. If you want some generative capability, you can simply pull in also something like GPT-3. Fantastic. Exciting. I mean, th this is certainly the way things will be built in the future. How did you get into this? Or maybe more properly, how did Haystack come to be? Actually, by building before having it, so to say. Uh, we, yeah. we, we, we started DeepSet as a company back then in 2018. And it was June 2018. And this was before we had transformer models, right? I mean, today when we look at chat GPT, GPT-3, everything that we have on Hugging Face, there's always this T, right, for transformer. Transformers came to life, so to say, end of 2018. Back then, Google released Bird, Hugging Face started the Transformers library, and we were early contributors into Hugging Face Transformers at that time. And we use transformer models to build NLP applications for enterprises already. Uh, organizations like, for example, Airbus, you know, big companies. And I remember we had we had this one customer, and we, you know, we wanted to to actually build a question-based search engine, the way I describe it to you. And then we realized that oh, that's all a bit cumbersome because wait, we need first of all to take care about like a thousand of documents they're having. Uh, okay, that's a bit difficult. We need a document store, and then we learned. Oof, this is not going to scale. We need this filter in between. And then we deployed this one pipeline. And then we had the following problem that we used one model and decided for one model. But we felt like, well, maybe this other model is going to perform better. It would be great to change this model. But this took us then two days, you know, until we had, you know, picked a new model. We had to re-implement everything. And then we thought that, Actually, first of all, we need more than just a model to really deliver these applications at scale. And we also would like to probably try out more things because natural language processing is still machine learning and machine learning is based pretty much on the idea of experimentation. And this was when we felt that it really makes sense to have an abstraction just for our own work, you know, where we can simply think about the functionalities we want to put together and then pull the technologies in as needed. And this is actually how Haystack was born. So we built then the first version of Haystack. Just for us, it was a retriever reader pipeline back then. It was very simple. And that's also where the name comes from, because we had a lot of demand for search and question answering applications at that point in time. So we said like, okay, then let's give it a name that is somehow referred to finding information, something, finding the needle in the Haystack. And that's actually how this happened. So yeah, I would say we, we were dog fooding our own project before we had it. Uh, I mean, 
one anecdote maybe when we deployed when we thought in the beginning we just take a model and that works and we just send a thousand documents to this model yeah what we realized was that it's taking very long so we had a demo for the customer and we couldn't really demo real-time queries because the query was taking i think one minute so it was like absolutely not practical to leave it that way right and then we said okay we need another model in between you know to filter out irrelevant files such that you know this scales a bit and gets a bit faster so this was pretty much how haystack was born then you know? I can imagine going through that process and wondering if this is going to be the standard model for how people build applications or if we're just kind of hacking things together and making it work. What maybe led you to have some confidence that this was kind of the way everyone would build pipelines like this? That's maybe now a bit, you know, bullish or whatever, but like at that point in time, this was a very early technology. I mean, we're talking about the end of 2019, when we started the work yeah. on Haystack, this was maybe one year after Google's bird, the first ever Transformer yep. was released, you know? And at that point in time, there weren't many people who were actually building, you know, or who were so familiar in building this. Yeah? We were one of the few around that point in time, you know? And in the end, I think this is how standards are created, right? Some very early adopters are throwing themselves on a the technology the way we did, are working with it, really try to industrialize it. You know, we were working against hard requirements, right? I mean, this was like, we had to build enterprise-grade software. Yeah? And this is where we felt like, okay, I mean, we were early in this. Maybe we're not the smartest people around, but we're also not the dumbest people around. So probably what we thought about here makes sense. And then, to be honest, once it was released, then you can see if it makes sense because what starts then you see if you can grow a community around this, right? And this is what happened. In May 2020, we released it. And then we saw actually how people adopted it. Uh, this was a time we didn't have big marketing spend or anything. People simply found it, people used it, people improved it, gave feedback, appreciated it. And that helped us, of course, also to you know make sure that through 2020 and until today, you know, everything is the way it should be. Because if you give it away and the community starts to build, then you have many builders, and then you have many opinions and a lot of feedback, and then you can make sure that you are converging really to the way people want to build NLP applications at scale. And I think you mentioned that you started doing this before transformer models were available. This was you know, June 2018. What, what was the plan for producing results then? I mean, did transformer models kind of surprise you and change your approach? Let me say like this, when we found a deep set back then, we were... You know, the, the future of the world was obvious to us. This was obvious that something like what we see today with, for example, ChatGPT, that this is going to be possible. This is going to become an essential part of each and every product. And around that time, we had the hypothesis that something like a transformer model, you know, transfer learning and LP is going to be around the corner. So, it, you know, we were expecting something. Uh, at that point in time, we were using, let's say, the more, the older, more traditional methods of NLP that required way more training. But the idea when we started was pretty much, you know, to, to build, to learn what is needed to build and to hope that some technological tailwind and technological revolution slash evolution is going to happen. And then by the end of 2018, like half a year after we started, we were lucky enough to yeah. see that this happened. And then yeah, we thought like, okay, great. Hypothesis became reality. That's great. <laughs> and and at some point you decided to open source Haystack, presumably mm -hmm. in maybe 2019. What was the thought process there? Was, was that clearly the plan as soon as you started working on it or was there some evolution in thinking? Honestly, it was 
there was a rationale, but it was always clear that something like this should be open source. We, yeah. when we started the company, we, you know, we only used open source technologies. We were contributors into Hugging Face Transformers around that time. We open sourced models before we open sourced Haystack as well. And for us, it was very obvious that you know technology like this must be somehow accessible and in order for people to really trust it, we felt it's beneficial if it's simply transparent. People know how it works. People know what happens. So this is why it was always intuitive for us. Of course, the bigger rationale behind it was also that we felt like there is a space to create a standard in the way how applications are built and standards always somehow open source in IT, right? When we think about databases, that's usually open source databases that are the ones that establish a standard and the way how people are solving certain problems and which databases they are using for certain problems. So, you know, we had this aspiration for sure. And this is why it was somehow clear that we don't want this to be a proprietary service or proprietary platform. We want it to be open and yeah, really establish it as something that everyone trusts and everyone wants and can use. Uh, the response has been extremely positive. There's six, over 6,000 GitHub stars. You've got a growing Discord community. Maybe you can highlight some of the things that got you there. What, you know, as you release this open source, what were the first kind of users and use cases and how did things spread? So in the beginning, I remember that, so the first use cases, it was, we tailored it a lot around search, question answering. And Haystack is a very, you know, it enables developers to be very pragmatic. You can, you can get started very fast. You can take a template pipeline and you have a template application. The early users I remember were very diverse and it feels even today, you know, still so diverse when we look into the communities. I remember we had some practitioners right away in the, in the project. Um, there was one contributor I remember from Netflix who shaped the project in the beginning a lot. We also had some researchers, of course, who were, you know, also helping with the aspect to keep it a bit state of the art. Uh, that's also important. So the one thing is it needs to be good software. The other thing is, of course, how do you really ensure that the technologies you're providing, especially in a fast moving field like NLP, are always, let's say, up to the latest stuff. Uh, and then, you know, when you ask me about how did this, how did this happen? How did this adoption go forward? I, I'm a strong believer that, you know, marketing is not so important for an open source project. I think that good projects and, I mean, the quality of a project and the quality of, of the software you write, the developer experience actually is somehow important. And this is what people appreciate simply. Uh, and this is what has a very sustainable effect. And we always focused a lot on, you know, this practicability we were rethinking our primitives uh, from time to time where we thought like, okay, is this now really easily usable or is Haystack already a science in itself, so to say? And we, we actually need now, <laughs> you, need, you, need, you need an own handbook, you know, just for, for using it. So this was always something we took a lot of care in, about and focused on. And then, you know, at some point in time, also I think, you know, you get this word of mouth. Yeah? So two people talk to each other and one People ask like, oh, I have this problem. What do, are you using? And then people are talking about Haystack. And we saw that then happening by the end of 2020 because also this was when actually our inbound from the Haystack community was growing. Many enterprises reached out to us because they heard of it or used it. Many startups were starting to use Haystack. We're talking about it openly. We saw then also, again, researchers from the community putting it into talks they were giving, into research papers, uh, uh, so, you know, at some point in time, after you have, again, this early adopters, 
it amplifies a little bit. People start talking about it. And, you know, this word of mouth is then pretty much what helps to at least grow the awareness and the interest, yep. I would say, to maintain the community and to really grow the community, to get contributions, you know, to get people use it. You constantly need to work on the project, to reinvent yourself. Also, the latest advancements with transformer models, what we're seeing is something that we simply, you know, need to be aware of and we need to adapt Haystack also to these changes yeah, and, and advancements that are happening in order to, you know, be really a valuable framework for people who want to build NLP applications because people want to use the latest stuff. People should use the latest stuff, you know, if it's good stuff. Yeah? And we always need to take care about this and also, you know, adapt it constantly. And so you, you, cannot, you, you cannot stop developing it further. People will get bored. And once your community gets bored, you know, your word of mouth becomes less than I would expect it. Probably I'm also going to see way less usage and adoption. Switching gears a bit to the industry, NLP has exploded. Well, I guess maybe ChatGPT really has like captured the attention of mm-hmm. everybody. I, I, not, not, I mean, not just yeah. um, developers, but kind of it's in the news and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But you've thought a lot about what the applications for NLP can be in businesses. Maybe you could walk us through what your customers are trying to do with DeepSet. I, I imagine you've thought a lot more about the use cases for NLP in business than many of us have you know i think in the end somehow the biggest let's say umbrella use case so to say is simply information access yeah, via the most natural way humans are interacting anyway right which is language right that's like language is a very powerful protocol you know uh, you and i are using language it's the best way for me to express things you know we can express so much in every little detail so to say and that's what makes it so powerful and i think we have a lot of information around um, in all kinds of formats right i mean also in images uh, that we can explain with language or in text of course or even in structured formats like sql databases and i think this idea that all of this information these terabytes that are in organizations are easily accessible to everyone you know that if i want to know i don't know what is the best way to solve a certain problem? Uh, and this information is around in my organization or my company that I can really be sure I find this information and I find it fast uh, <laughs> because usually it would take me forever to go through the whole index, even to go through two documents would, would, be, would be too much of an effort, you know, or actually would simply be a big effort. Uh, and I think this information accessibility in a very natural, easy, fast way, that's a big thing and a big promise. And ChatGPT is somehow that, right? Because you ask it a question and out of, let's say, the knowledge it, it has, yeah, you get the information you want. You can also create things, of course, but it's it's mostly information access. That's, I think, the big topic. Um, and of course, you know, that has different flavors. That can be a classic way of searching files. That can be a way to extract information. For example, in financial services, we know um, many banks who are uh, Haystack users and also commercial customers of DeepSet who are using NLP to, in risk management processes uh, to extract core information. They want to understand, for example, a certain company, what are the risks this company is exposed to, what is the outlook for their business, uh, what do they project maybe in revenues for the next year. And then you have many sources of these companies, websites, uh, company reports, proprietary reports, public reports, all of that stuff. So all of this is is easily accessible, very fast, and helps and risk analysts, you know, to make a thorough, 
quick decision uh, and get a very thorough and quick full picture uh, about a company. In knowledge management, a lot of effort has been made you know, to consolidate data, data lakes, lake houses, data warehouses, whatever, you know, uh, wikis. I think there are so many wikis around. Every good startup has an, has a, has a, uses Notion. Every good enterprise uses probably something like Confluence or, or SharePoint. There's so much knowledge in there, you know, probably years, decades uh, of knowledge, project reports, best practices. All of this is now really accessible and you simply plug in an NLP pipeline and you give, you know, you give the power to everyone to simply ask and simply, you know, I want simply to know how do I solve a turbine failure that I have on my uh, Airbus machine what's the best fix or what proved to be the best thing to do when a customer is facing a certain a certain bug in our software or i don't know selling uh, which materials should i send over when a customer has has security questions or whatever right so all of this yeah you know, well one of the things i've been trying to figure out is how these natural language applications gain access to all the necessary data in an organization so mm-hmm. i mean you you've talked about like bundling up PDFs makes perfect sense. You know, they're mm-hmm. in English or something, a language the models can understand. But what about some of the SaaS applications? You mentioned a few, but their data is still in kind of English. But Salesforce records, will will these natural language models understand what's in my Salesforce and how, how do they get that information and make sense of it if it's kind of more structured data as opposed to text? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It works. I mean, um, you you already see how, for example, yeah, you can also perform natural language queries on at least on simple tables. Uh, that's mm-hmm. actually working already quite well. So if you have tables and documents and you want to know what's the revenue projection for year 2024, then usually these models are already very well performing. For SQL or even for something like graph databases, yeah, which is even, could argue, more complex than SQL yep. database, even there you see that natural language processing is working. There are different approaches to it. For example, what you can do is, of course, you know, models can, for example, translate, so to say, a natural language query into an SQL query. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that's like even, almost like a translator that translates from, from one language to the other. This is one approach of doing it. The world of NLP consists of the idea of embeddings, vectors, right? Everything yep. is somehow put into a characteristic vector, and then you're looking for these vectors. And of course, I mean, there are also approaches, you know, to take structured data and somehow, you know, vectorize it and then, you know, translate, so to say, language, images, structured data, everything into one semantic space that is represented by vectors, right? And this is what we're seeing, for example, with multimodal models, right? I mean, Stability mm-hmm. AI, for example, where you use language and get an image out, right? This is already something like hey, I use one way to describe something and I get a description in another format out. This means we have two different modi of data, so to say. In this case, both unstructured, but you know, with structured, it could be the same. And they, are somehow, they somehow are in the same semantic space. Uh, and we are seeing, we're seeing it. It works, right? And this is only going to improve over the next years. Yep. And what about chat GPT and the, the chat element, the, this idea that the model isn't just a single request response, but now the API maintains a session and that session has state. Increasingly, it almost seems like rather than the application adding a model via API, it's, all, it's almost like the application is 
chat GPT and what we call the application is really just the API that accesses where, you know, the stateful session. Does this chat idea, a session kind of break the model for the way people are building NLP applications? Uh, let's say like this. I think the, the question I always ask myself is, you know, chat GPT or whatever, you know, machines yeah. are machines, right? And I want, I want, uh, I want information from them or I want to create something with them, right? I don't necessarily want to chat with them. <laughs> I want yeah. to chat with yeah. humans, right? I want to spend, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to have a conversation yeah. with you. You know, that's, that's probably more engaging for me. Where it is useful, of course, is, you know, and this is the great thing also about something like ChatGPT. It narrows down the space. You know, if you can ask, for example, oh, what do you mean by this? Or, you know, like helping, helping me yeah. again as a user. Refine to the initial query. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Right. And to navigate, to navigate me a little bit, right? That's for sure a great thing. I think, you know, the big opportunities in the end, when something like a model with the capabilities of a chat GPT can be really used on your own data, right? So if you ask it today about your Swift number, it will probably give you a response. I hope, <laughs> I hope it's not your Swift number yeah, <laughs> because yeah. otherwise it will be publicly available, right? So the moment we can actually make your Swift number somehow, you know, maybe even just for you accessible uh, in this yep. model, that's actually when when I would say when when another big thing is happening. This is this idea of retrieval augmentation. It's already possible today in, in in other scenarios. Also with generative scenarios, you can already build these build generative models that I will say retrieval augmented, where you also know, for example, what the source was, right? Where does this information come from? Yeah, and that's yeah. also very good because it prevents you a bit from this hallucination. So you don't run into a risk that there's information you think you cannot trust or that is maybe even completely made up because all is based on actual data, right? That you can name, that you know where it is, you know which file you can read the whole source document. I think that's that's the big next step. And or actually it's already possible today. And I think you know the big next thing is then having chat GPT like fully chat GPT like capabilities on that kind of data. Again, it is possible already today with, with other models. You can build something similar in, in Haystack. Uh, and I think, you know, I think this is, that being said, this is probably the way forward, right? How to build applications. So really having these conversational experiences on your own data, uh, that's, I think, essential. Yes, yeah, so I, I suppose we're talking too much about chat GPT, but, but presumably they <laughs> have built a pipeline around GPT 3.5 or 4, or whatever they're using as their model, mm -hmm. like Haystack, in order to serve up the application. And, it, and it's trained on the internet. That's their kind of document store, exactly. presumably. Um, exactly. But so you're imagining a world where every application or person can have a chat GPT based mm -hmm. on some a repository of, of information. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be some collection of folks who give us models, give, give us bots and tell us to bring our data to them. And there's mm -hmm. going to be people who already own data and they'll expose bots on their app. You know, I, so basically I'll, I'll either mm -hmm. ask my bank for my Swiss number, or I'll just ask my smart assistant for my Swiss exactly. number. Exactly. And, and we're not quite sure which model will be most prevalent at this point. Probably it's gonna be a little bit both, you know, I would yeah, expect, yeah. I think, because probably you have personal finance app, yeah. which is a third party application. You're still having your online banking. I'm usually not very dogmatic. I, I use tools like completely randomly. So sometimes I go into my online banking and sometimes I go into my personal finance app, you know, like what's what's now easier, uh, so to say. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. I, think, I think for this, you know, there's probably a coexistence of, of some features. Uh, 
I would expect really, you know, that these capabilities in a few years, I'm not making now any prediction, really, <laughs> a few years, whatever that is, two years, five years, 10 years, maybe, not more than 10, I would say, there's going to be an omnipresence, you know, of these capabilities. I was just talking about my daughter that was recently born, I think, for her. When she's in her teenage years, I think it's going to be very normal to interact with any kind of software just via language. It's wild. Yeah, and today, <laughs> and today it's mostly types, but I, I certainly seems like it has to become kind of a verbal audio thing sooner than later. But yes, yeah, probably. Oh. Melosh, this is fantastic. We've learned a lot today about Haystack. Where is the project going next, and and how can folks mm-hmm. who are listening and getting excited about this get involved? Of course, the whole generative advancements, that's something that we support even more than before. Uh, so this was always a part of Haystack. We're now focusing even more on generative capabilities. We just uh, released released some new functionalities there, some new, some new integrations. That's, of course, something where we're really looking forward to anyone who wants to use it, but also, of course, to contribute it. And outside of that, you know, NLP is not just models. It's databases, document stores, it's data, data preparation. There is a lot of things that need to be in place in the pipeline. And, you know, also those people who are not maybe so much into NLP per se to models can find a home with Haystack and and also contribute. And yeah, we're happy about everyone who makes the project better. Awesome. Anything we covered or didn't cover you'd want to mention here? From my standpoint, quite comprehensive. A lot of, a, a little bit, we had quite some things about ChatGPT, but I think like anyway, it's going to be, it's going to be somehow cut and edited. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're not making an open AI marketing, uh, marketing, marketing show here. But yeah, that was good now. It was fun. Fantastic. Um, thanks for all you're doing. I think it's, uh, it's fun that these things are in open source. Everybody can yeah, I think we saw with stability just the the power that the open source community has yeah. in, in advancing what's going on here, and it's yeah. it's quite a contribution you've made. Similarly, to bring NLP to the people, so thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. You can subscribe to the podcast and check out our community Slack and newsletter at contributor.fyi. If you like the show, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor.